We're continuing this morning with the sermon series through the Ten Commandments. This is the second sermon because we began last Sunday with the preface, the prologue of grace. And this morning's reading of Scripture, and and by the way, we will be reading the Ten Commandments, that abbreviated form of the Ten Commandments, each Lord's Day as we work through this series. Because it's important for us as Christians to know the Ten Commandments and to have them memorized and for our children to memorize them. And that's one good way to do that is to have that as a spiritual discipline in corporate worship. It doesn't do do us Christians any good to rant and rail at the world for not following the Ten Commandments if we don't even know what they are. So uh, let us uh, commit ourselves to commit God's word to our hearts that we might not sin against him. The reading of scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. You might not immediately think of this passage uh, in light of the first commandment, but I trust with God's help and by his grace, the working of his spirit, we will see how this passage applies to the first commandment. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the goodness of your law. We thank you, O Lord, that your law is gospel to us because it shows us the path of life and it points us to him who is the way, the truth, and the life, your Son, Jesus Christ. O gracious God, we would not presume to be able to understand or to apply your word to our lives without the grace of your Holy Spirit. We come, O Lord, needing you to teach us, needing you to speak your word through the Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit so that it will penetrate not only our minds but more deeply into our hearts for the transformation of our lives. To the glory of your name, amen. Let us hear... The Word of God, Mark 10, beginning at verse 17, which on your, in your pew Bible is found on page 846. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, that is to Jerusalem, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, Glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everyone in this sanctuary this morning wants 
to be happy. Everyone in the world this morning wants to be happy. And there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's a lot right about that because we were created to be happy. Happiness is a very, very important component of the Christian life. In fact, if you think about it, even for us Presbyterians, you know, those of the Puritan tradition, the first question of the catechism, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To enjoy God forever is the reason that we were created. And what is that? That is eternal happiness. The highest purpose of your life, the end for which you were created, is to enjoy God. Be happy with Him. Now that's mind-boggling. You and I were created for infinite and eternal happiness in a relationship of love with with our infinite and eternal creator. And that is the reason that you and I cannot be happy without God. God himself is the author and source of all true and real happiness. Have you ever thought about Our God, the infinite and eternal creator. The Holy One. Dwells. In infinite and eternal. Happiness. Blessedness. St. Augustine wrote in his confessions. You have created us for yourself, O God. And our hearts are restless. Until they rest in you. Now that's the same thing as saying you have created us to enjoy you, O God. And our hearts will not be happy until they are happy in a relationship with you. The problem, however is that due to our own sinful inclinations and the delusions of our own minds and the fickleness of our own hearts and the deceitfulness of the devil and the false allurements of this world, we too often pursue our happiness in all the wrong ways. We go looking for love in all the wrong places. And that is really what it means to worship false Gods, false gods, fake gods, can never give you what they promise. That brings us to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Literally, you shall have no other gods before my face, in my presence. We are always Before the face of God. We are always in his presence. The first commandment applies to us. In all times. In all places. First things first. Now we understand that the ten commandments were given on two tablets of stone. It's generally understood that the first tablet. 
the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God, and the second tablet, 5 through 10, have to do with our relationship with our neighbor. Jesus summed up the Ten ten Commandments by saying, quoting Scripture, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. First tablet, second tablet. But the two tablets cannot be separated from one another. It is no good saying that we love God if, in fact, we do not love our neighbor according to God's law. But it is a matter of logical priority. It is a matter of logical necessity. It's a matter of first things first that we have the first tablet first. Because unless we love God, we cannot truly love our neighbor. Now, our spiritual ancestor, John Calvin, put it like this. The first foundation of righteousness, the first foundation of right living is the worship of God. And apart from the fear of God, apart from reverence for God, men do not preserve equity and love among themselves. Well, you see that played out in real life. In other words, Calvin is saying when when men do not worship and revere God, then the world is going to fall apart. What happens when men and movements and governments do not fear God, do not revere God, do not worship Him alone, do not obey His commandments, do not give Him the honor and glory due to Him? What happens? Horrible things happen. Horrible things, holocausts, genocides, suicide bombings, infanticides, all manner of wanton destruction of life. What happens when societies and nations turn away from the honor of God and obedience to his revealed law? They crater and crumble in chaos. Just look at what's happening to what used to be referred to as Western civilization in Western Europe. Let that be a warning to us. If we will not live by the law of God, beginning with the first commandment, then we will suffer the law of the jungle. Chaos let loose in our streets. Where there is no love of God, there will be no love of neighbor. The first commandment, therefore, is first because it is logically, necessarily first in spiritual priority. And if we do not get this first commandment first, first in our lives, first in our hearts, then we will never really obey the other commandments. All of the other commandments, in a sense, are built upon and depend upon this one, this foundation. The first commandment teaches us that only the true and living God is worthy of our worship, devotion, faithfulness, love, and obedience. Only the true and living God has the exclusive, comprehensive claim upon our lives. We are to worship Him alone because He alone is God and there is none other. And so we might say that the first commandment is all about the honor and glory of God. And that is true, but there's another aspect to it. Remember, we said that everyone here wants to be happy. 
The reason that we are to have no other gods is that there is no other God who can fill our lives with happiness. The wonderful thing about God is that God is good and God is gracious. And God commands that we shall have no other gods before Him. Not only so that He will receive the glory due to Him, but also also because He loves us. He wants the best for us. He knows that our highest happiness is found in a faithful relationship with Him. And that the false gods of this world will destroy us. So what happens when we violate this first commandment? It has been said that when man dethrones God, he deifies and worships himself. When man dethrones God, He worships and deifies himself. And surely the worship of self is at the very root of our sinful nature. Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden was an attempt to dethrone God and to place himself on the throne. The throne of his life, the throne at the center of the universe. Well, our basic inclination is to place ourselves on the throne, to live for ourselves, and as much as possible to have the universe revolve around us, or at least to live with the delusion that the universe revolves around us. That's the essence of self-worship, and that's the essence of our sinful nature. And therefore, if you think about it, every act of selfishness, is an act of self-worship. A violation of the first commandment. Every thought of self-pity is an expression of self-worship. Every desire to be regarded more highly than someone else is an act of self-worship, a violation of the first commandment. The first commandment teaches us that our lives are not to be lived in a me-first way, but in a God-first way. This is another reason that the first commandment is first. In order for us to keep all the other commandments, we must first submit ourselves to God. Submit ourselves, hand ourselves over to God. Come empty-handed before God and acknowledge Him and worship Him as the one who is above us, who rules over us. And who has the first claim in our hearts and our minds and our souls and the living of our lives. Or for other examples of other gods, we might consider the ancient pagan religions, which were popular in ancient times. There was Baalism or Baalism. That was a nature and fertility religion. 
which linked sexual immorality to spiritual ecstasy for the sake of agricultural prosperity. And then there was the pagan god Molech, the god of raw power, brutality, to which the pagan peoples sacrificed their own children for the sake of their security. And then, of course, there was Mammon, the god or demon of avarice and greed, which consumed those who worshipped him. Baal, Molech, and Mammon, the other gods of sex, power, and possessions. Did I say that those were gods of the ancient world? Some things never change. We may not call them Baal, Molech, and Mammon. But the gods of sexual immorality, raw power, and greed are still with us today. Aren't they? And the terrifying truth is that in our culture, they make themselves look very, very attractive. Sophisticated. And worst of all, normal. They fit right in. They promise us happiness, pleasure, freedom, security, glory. They are false gods, which will only enslave us, destroy us, and devour us. As Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. There it is. That is Jesus' call to keep the first commandment. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because the other gods are thieves. They are minions of Satan. They come to take over our lives in order to steal and kill and destroy. Only the true and living God who has come to us in the human flesh and blood of Jesus Christ is the God who gives life and life abundant. That is the reason that we must have no other gods. Well, now let's take a look at this encounter between Jesus and the man known as the rich young ruler. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' first response is quite interesting. He said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, that is a leading statement. 
But it was also Jesus' way of saying to him that the standard of goodness is God alone. The standard of goodness is God alone. And then, watch, Jesus immediately referred to the law. Get the connection. The standard of goodness is God alone. And then Jesus referred to the law, the good law of the good God. And he said, well, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man replied, oh, well, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. The man was disheartened by Jesus' words, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And let's think about what happened here. The man came to Jesus asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. The man assumed that he could do something to earn eternal life. He assumed that he could do something by which he could secure for himself his ultimate and eternal happiness. But Jesus referred him to the law of God. But watch carefully now. Jesus referred only to the second tablet, the commandments concerning our relationship with our neighbor. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, and etc. I think Jesus said this for a reason. The man claimed to have kept all those commandments of the second tablet all of his life. Well, Jesus knew that he would say that. You see, it was all a setup. It was a setup. Because whether the man had really and truly from his heart kept all those commandments in the way that God really requires, well, that's another issue. That's another issue. Jesus didn't didn't dispute that point with him. He granted him that. He let him have that. But then he took him right to the point, right to the heart, and he pierced his heart with the truth of the first commandment. Stay with me here. The man thought that he had kept the commandments of the second tablet. But Jesus showed him how he was failing to keep the very first commandment. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have. Give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. The man walked away sad because he had great possessions. He had come seeking happiness. But he walked away sad because he had great possessions. What does this have to do with the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Well, right off, we can see that this man's possessions were his other god. His possessions, his wealth came between him and God. He thought that he had kept all the other commandments. But selling all that he had, giving to the poor, that was the one thing he could not do. Why couldn't he do it? Why wouldn't he do it? He couldn't do it because he couldn't believe that he could live without his wealth. He couldn't do it because he simply couldn't believe that he could be happy without his money. But... but It wasn't simply that Jesus told him to sell all and give to the poor. Jesus wasn't trying to get rid of this man's money. Jesus was trying to get to this man's heart. Come, follow me. That's the key. Jesus wasn't giving him another rule to follow. Jesus wasn't giving him another little box to check off. 
He wasn't giving him something else to do. That's, but that is not the point here. Jesus was calling this man into a personal relationship of faith and trust and obedience. Come and follow me. That's the key to understanding what's going on here. Follow me. That's Jesus' answer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Follow me. And with this answer, Jesus was offering this man the happiness he had never known. Jesus was offering this man the happiness he was looking for. Follow me. That's how you get happy. That's how you get eternal life. That's how you live in security and joy. Follow me. But the man walked away sad. Because he couldn't believe that he'd be happy following Jesus. How ironic. He chose to be sad with his money rather than happy following Jesus. Because he had placed his hope and his trust for happiness. His happiness was invested in an other God. His happiness, his, his well-being was invested in and other God. And it kept him from following Jesus. Now get this. This man's encounter with Jesus was his personal encounter with the God who spoke from Sinai. There it is. When Jesus said to him, one thing you lack, sell all, give to the poor, follow me. He wasn't simply telling the man to do one more thing. He was, in fact, saying to him, you shall have no other gods before me. This was this man's encounter with the God who spoke from Sinai. For this man, it was his riches that got in the way. For another person, for you, for me, it may be something else, something, someone you think you cannot live without, something, someone more precious to you than the infinite and eternal God, something, someone to which you look, to which you trust for your happiness, prosperity, security. Jesus says, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't trust in those things that will ultimately fail you. Follow me. Now, that doesn't mean that for all of us, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we all must give up our jobs or leave our loved ones or give up everything we love in this world. But it does mean that we must put them in their place and that nothing in this world must come in between us and the Lord. You see, we, were, we started by saying that we all were created to be happy. But happiness eludes us because we live for ourselves and not for the glory of God. Happiness eludes us because we place our hope in false gods. Happiness eludes us because we look for love in all the wrong places. But think about it. Jesus is the one who dwelt in eternal happiness from all eternity in the blessedness of glory. And yet for our sake and our salvation, he took upon himself our human flesh and blood, was born into this world, 
and lived in this sin-sick, sorrowful world and ultimately took upon himself the miserable sadness of this world. That's what the cross is all about. All of the pain and the sadness and the sorrow and the wrongness of everything that sin has brought into this world, including death under the judgment of God, was heaped upon him. He is the one who has shouldered our sadness by shouldering the cross for us. He who from all eternity without beginning knew the everlasting infinite happiness of glory submitted himself to suffering and death in our place. That we might be delivered from the misery of the curse and be restored to life, life abundant, life everlasting, life in a relationship of love with our infinite and eternal creator forever and ever and ever. Do you see? He took our sadness upon himself And sunk into hell. He rose from the dead. To live forever. As the one who opens the gates of everlasting life. Who gives us new life by his spirit. So that we might live. A new life. In a relationship of love. In the kingdom of everlasting joy which neither disease nor death nor any kind of evil can ever take away. No other God has ever done that for you. No other God ever will. No other God ever can. No other God deserves the highest offering of your love and devotion and faithfulness and obedience. No other God can be trusted. No other God can fill your heart with eternal happiness. And that is the reason that the true and living God has spoken His law of love and grace and mercy and life. You shall have no other gods before Me. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give You thanks that in the infinity of Your love, You have spoken to us the law of life and liberty, and you have given to us your only Son, Jesus Christ, who for our sake has fulfilled the law for us and has removed from us the curse of our guilt under your law. We thank you that he has come to our rescue and we would pledge ourselves anew to him in love in gratitude, and seek to live lives more faithfully obedient. 
Moved by your mercies. Saved by your grace. And called forth by your love. Grant us the grace to walk in your ways and to keep your commandments. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.